Welcome to the ACCP Resident Fellowship Podcast, a podcast for residents by residents. My name is Christian Kroll, and I am the current PGY2 Emergency Medicine Resident at UW Health in Madison, Wisconsin. We will be joined on the show today by Dr. Megan Klatt, who is the PGY2 Infectious Disease Resident at Michigan Medicine. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for having me. Also, fun fact, Christian and I did our PGY1s together at UW Health. Yes, we did. Now, for today's podcast, we are going to be diving into the data and outcomes of treating known gram-negative bacteremic patients with oral agents. Now, Megan, why have oral agents been questioned for treating these gram-negative infections previously? Of course. First, gram-negative bacteremias are a leading cause of hospitalizations in the U.S., with approximately one-quarter of a million patients developing a gram-negative bloodstream infection annually. Like many of our infectious disease states, intravenous therapy has been considered the historical standard because, one, a lack of data for oral therapy, and two, a belief that intravenously administered medications are just quote-unquote better or more effective than oral medications. However, as we are all aware, oral antibiotics provide significant advantages over their intravenous counterparts, including the opportunity to decrease patient length of stay, prevent at-home central line access, and improve patient satisfaction. Thus, many have questioned whether switch from IV to BO in this patient population is appropriate, and if treatment with oral therapies compared to IV has similar clinical outcomes. Thank you, Megan, for describing why we favor those IV antibiotics in these patients and why oral antibiotic options present a great opportunity in the management of these patients. I think it's always important before diving into these clinical topics to then ask, what are the guidelines? So is there a guidance about the mechanism of how to treat these patients and also for how long? Well, Christian, that's actually a fairly complicated question. Since intravenous therapy typically has been administered or considered the historical standard, there are no guideline recommendations distinguishing oral versus intravenous administration for gram-negative bacteremias with the exception that if oral therapy is to be used, that it be of sufficiently high oral bioavailability, which we'll discuss in more detail. In terms of duration, we have guidance from the Infectious Diseases Society of America, or IDSA, in their 2009 clinical practice guidelines for the diagnosis and management of intravascular catheter-related bloodstream infections, which recommends seven to 14 days of antibiotic therapy for gram-negative bacillary catheter-related bloodstream infections. However, it should be noted that this was considered low-grade evidence at the time, with these duration recommendations being primarily driven by historical comfortability rather than strong evidence-based medicine. So a natural follow-up question is, do we need longer courses of antibiotics to sufficiently treat uncomplicated gram-negative bacteremias? And the answer is, in certain certain clinical scenarios, no, we don't. Two published studies in 2018 demonstrated no advantage in long or greater than 10-day versus short or about 7 to 10-day courses for gram-negative bacteremia. There are, of course, caveats with recommending shorter courses, mainly that the data to support short courses primarily exists among bacteremia from a urinary source and predominantly with Enterobacteriaceae as the causative pathogen. Additionally, both of the 2018 studies excluded certain immunosuppressed patient populations. And as such, we should be cautious in extrapolating to these particular patients. 
Now, with that background information, we have a great foundation to dive into the literature discussing this clinical topic. Recently, there has been a variety of publications that have compared the usage of oral antibiotics after usually around three to five days of intravenous antibiotic therapy for gram-negative bacteremias that were mostly known for the Enterobacteriaceae, including E. coli, Proteus, and Klebsiella. Before discussing these agents that we consistently see within these trials, Megan, when you are clinically reviewing these patients on your ID stewardship list, who do you see and who do you not see as a candidate for oral antibiotic step-down therapy? Right. So similar to long versus short courses, oral step-down may not be appropriate for every patient. The vast majority of the literature for oral step-down and gram-negative bacteremia is again centered around Enterobacteriaceae from a urinary source. Thus, again, I would caution extrapolating these study findings to patients with a non-Enterobacteriaceae organism, for example, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and also for patients with bacteremia from a non-urinary source, such as CNS infections and endocarditis. So when we apply these inclusion-exclusion criteria, trials such as the Kudab and colleagues study have found a similar benefit of mortality of full IV antibiotic therapy versus IV to step-down oral antibiotic therapy. Now, from the data that I have reviewed, this controversy then asks the question of what agents should be used. Now, Megan, from the data that I have seen, there seems to be a major separation between using fluoroquinolone agents or sulfamethoxazole trimethoprim agents versus beta-lactam agents. Why is this? A great question, and it's all about PKPD, so you're welcome, ID nerds. The main reason why we lean towards sulfamethoxazole trimethoprim or fluoroquinolones as an oral step-down is because of their excellent bioavailability and mode of bactericidal killing. As a refresher, bioavailability is how well a drug enters systemic circulation. Intravenous medications have 100% bioavailability whereas oral medications can vary quite significantly based on their composition, as well as patient-specific factors. Fluoroquinones, for all their negative connotations, including risk of C. difficile infection, CPC prolongation, and tendinopathies, to name a few, have excellent oral bioavailability, and their PKPD parameters for efficacy is AUC, or area under the curve, to MIC, or minimum inhibitory concentration or you can think of it as total exposure over time. Thus, oral administration leads to a significant dose in systemic circulation, which also allows for meeting the total exposure needed for optimal bactericidal effects. Sulfamethoxazole trimethoprim also has high oral bioavailability of about 90%. However, its optimal PKPD target has not been fully elucidated. And this agent is now without side effects as well. Beta-lactams universally tend to have fewer serious adverse events, and not all agents have extremely poor bioavailability. In fact, both cephalexin and amoxicillin demonstrate bioavailabilities of above 90%. However, beta-lactams exhibit time-dependent killing, thus it can be challenging to get the necessary time above MIC with standard dosing, especially in the setting of patients with alterations in fluid volume and renal status, such as the critically ill and obese. Preparing to become board certified in ID? Or maybe you want to be extra prepared for your PGY2 and infectious diseases. ACCP has created an infectious diseases pharmacy practice exam. 
The exam is a compilation of questions that help you prepare for the BPS Infectious Diseases Pharmacy Specialty Exam. The questions are based on content discussed in the ACCP ID Preparatory and Review course and provides an in-depth review of patient care issues for practitioners in infectious diseases. Find the 2020 ID Practice Exam in the ACCP store at accp.com. Wow, Megan, thank you for describing that. So what does the data describe about how these agents stack up against each other? Yeah, so let's review three studies in detail, starting with Tama and colleagues' paper published in JAMA Internal Medicine in 2019. This was a retrospective multi-center cohort study of patients with Enterobacteriaceae bacteremia, and they compared oral step-down within the first five days of treatment to a full IV course of therapy. Again, this cohort mainly consisted of patients with bacteremia from a urinary source. Oral therapy was counted for by about 70% of fluoroquinolone usage, 30% being Bactrim or trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, and 17% being beta-lactam therapy. Overall, they found no difference in 30-day all-cause mortality between oral step-down and IV therapy, with a 30-day all-cause mortality of approximately 13% in each arm. Importantly, they also found no difference in reoccurrence of bacteremia within 30 days, although in general rates of reoccurrence were fairly low at 0.8% in the IV group and 0.4% in the oral arm. Lastly, patients with oral therapy were more likely to be discharged earlier by about two days earlier compared to IV, which is, of course, ideal as long as there's no difference in mortality or reoccurrence, which the study demonstrated was not the case. We'll compare this to Kutab and colleagues, which conducted a retrospective study that was published in International Journal of Antimicrobial Agents in 2016. And this study compared the effectiveness of high versus moderate versus low bioavailability oral therapies for the treatment of gram-negative bloodstream infections. So instead of reviewing IV to PO, they were just looking at the different levels of bioavailability and had no IV comparator. The authors defined high bio, highly bioavailable antimicrobials as just levofloxacin, moderate as ciprofloxacin and Bactrim, or trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, and low as beta-lactam therapies. Overall, 106 patients, 179, and 77 patients received high, moderate, and low bioavailable drugs, respectively. Interestingly, treatment failure, which they defined as all-cause mortality, or reoccurrent infection within 90 days of initial episode was higher for moderate and low bioavailable bio drugs at 12 and 14% compared to high bioavailable at 2%. Thus, this study concluded that rates of treatment failure with oral options increases with decreasing bio oral bioavailability. And lastly, and most recently, Punjabi and colleagues performed a meta-analysis of eight retrospective studies, including the two previous studies, to compare outcomes for oral fluoroquinolones or trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole versus beta-lactams for Enterobacteriaceae bacteremia. Of the patients transitioned from IV to PO, 65% received a fluoroquinolone, about 8% received trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, and about 27% received a beta-lactam. 
Overall, the meta-analysis found no difference in all-cause mortality rates during the study period. They found mortality rates of about 5% in the fluoroquinolone or Bactrim arm versus 3.5% in the beta-lactam arm. However, they did find that rates of reoccurrence, which they defined as subsequent infection, either bacteremia or at the primary site with the same organism, was statistically greater in the beta-lactam group compared to those patients receiving a fluoroquinolone or trimethoprim-sulfomethoxyl, with a difference of about 5.5% versus 2%. It is important to note that the meta-analysis author specifically mentioned that multiple of the included studies reported quote-unquote suboptimal beta-lactam dosing, and their dosing regimens were more likely to be given multiple times per day, both of which could have impacted clinical outcomes due to one, not meeting those PKPD targets that we've discussed, and two, non-compliance with a multiple time per day dosing regimen. Taken all together, this data demonstrates oral therapy is an effective alternative to intravenous therapy for enterobacteriaceae bacteremias from a urinary source. However, the decision on what is the optimal or best oral antibiotic is less clear. While there doesn't appear to be a difference in mortality amongst the different agents, fluoroquinolones may provide an advantage in terms of reduction in infection reoccurrence. However, given the side effect profile of fluoroquinolones, it may not be unreasonable to recommend Bactrim or certain highly bioavailable oral beta-lactams, granted that they're optimally dosed and taken correctly. Wow, that was awesome, Megan. Thank you so much. We've covered a lot of information today. Megan, would you be able to provide a quick summary of what we've discussed today? Of course, Christian, anything for you. <laughs> Today, we discussed how IV antibiotics for 7 to 14 days have historically been the treatment of choice for gram-negative bacteremias, but that recent studies demonstrate certain oral antibiotic step-down options have similar outcomes to that of IV therapy. When we look at the agents involved, fluoroquinolones tend to be the most often used and have reduced rates of infection relapse. However, there doesn't appear to be a difference in mortality between fluoroquinolones, sulfamethoxidol, trimethoprim, or beta-lactams when used for the treatment of enterobacteriaceae bacteremia from a urinary source. Thank you for your great insight into this complex topic and developing area of gram-negative bacteremic treatment. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of the ACCP Resident and Fellowship Podcast, a podcast for residents by residents. For more episodes and other resident and fellow resources, visit our website at www.accp.com backslash resfell.
thank you for listening to an ACCP podcast for residents by residents. Our theme music is titled Jupiter Smile by the 126ers and is provided through YouTube's free audio library. Please subscribe to the ACCP podcast to be notified of new episodes.